Well, this is great. It's just so good to be here with you. And thank you for the honor you've done me uh, to invite me to share in this 30th anniversary celebration. I was 40 years old when I was with you then in the first pioneer days of the community center, I think it was, wasn't it? Uh, which of course means that I'm 70 now. The maths isn't hard to do. And as one wit put it, I'm at the age, as this week has demonstrated, when my back goes out more than I do. <laughs> so I'm so grateful to have been able to, to make it. Thank you for your prayers. Apologies if I'm a little bit out of alignment. What happens is my back goes into muscle spasms and my legs are there and my back's over here somewhere and it doesn't quite work out. 30 years ago, the European single market was created. Bill Clinton became president of the United States. Manchester United, some of you have woken up at that point, <laughs> became the first champions of the Premier League. It was sadly the year of the Shankill Road bombing and the Grey Steel massacre. It was the year of Jurassic Park and Friends. The World Wide Web was launched as was the National Lottery. Whitney Houston was singing, I will always love you. A litre of petrol cost 46p. <laughs> and Doc Martens became a fashion item. But God doesn't assess history the same way as the media, the internet, or historians, because they're not looking for the eternal significance of this life. The greatest project on earth is not the building of the HS2. It is the building of a dwelling place for God by his spirit within human history. It is a phenomenal project. Paul talks about it in Ephesians. And what you have been involved in all these years has been part of the greatest building project on earth. So it's just super to witness it, to get some of the DNA, to have had some tiny part. I'm really always shocked if the God, God uses me to do anything. And surprised that anybody could even remember me from 30 years ago, but thank you, it's greatly encouraging to me. I haven't come with a, a church growth manual or uh, anything like that. What has been impressed on my heart for uh, tonight and Sunday and tonight, I'm going to be pretty brief, if you can trust me. It's Friday night and I understand the psychology. But I want to be personal, if I may. And I want to pinch a sermon. You know, if all else fails, just pinch a sermon. Uh, but it's a biblical sermon. It's the key sermon that the Apostle Peter preached basically all his life. He preached it so often. He tells us, actually, in part three, as we'll see on Sunday, 
And it's a sermon he wanted everybody to remember. He's going to repeat it on and on and on and on until long after he's gone, when people remember it, they say, oh yes, he was the guy who went on and on about this. And my reason for sharing it is that as I reflect at the age of 70 over the short years of my life, this sermon is the one that has had the biggest personal impact. And I think it is because it deals with really what is at the very core of Christianity at that personal level. So let me read to you part of it. It's coming from Second Peter 1. It is, I'm told, all one sentence, as if he can't really pause for breath. He just has to keep going until he gets this first part over. But it's just magnificent even to listen to the words where he writes in verse 3 that God's divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance to perseverance godliness to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love for if you possess these qualities in increasing measure they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is short-sighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election, for if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I would love to have the time to listen to everybody's story because we all have one. And in particular, what interests me is what was it that, could I put it the way Peter puts it, that called you? What was it that God used to attract you to Christ. For some of us, what called us, frankly, was fear, concern about our eternal destiny. For others, it was the love of God that drew us. For others, it was the truth that we encountered. For others, it was the emptiness of a life without God. And so our stories are as different as we are. What is it that called us? Sooner or later, 
it needs to move to something, dare I say, bigger than those things. That in the end, as Peter reflected all these years later, as an old man, what was it that attracted me? It was Christ's glory and excellence, his goodness. It was the sheer attractiveness of the person of Christ. It moved and needs to move for all of us to that deeply personal attraction to the Lord Jesus. It is not easy to be a Christian in the contemporary world. It never has been. It's a myth to think that it's harder for us than it was for people in the 19th century or indeed the first century. The gospel clashes with every culture. It is difficult. We are outsiders if we follow Jesus Christ. And some folks find that difficult. We all find it difficult. Whether it is reeling from unanswered prayer or suffering or questions that have been raised that we don't have answers to or just sheer tiredness. Sometimes it's good to come back to say, why am I in this? (laughs) What is this all about in the end? What is it that called me? He called us by his own glory and goodness. Now why call attention to this? Because God's goal in our lives is that we should be like him. And therefore the more captivated we are by the sheer glory of the personality of Christ, his positive excellence, and all he does, the more we become like what we consider, like what we worship. That's the goal. And it is to that end, says Peter, that God's power is in our lives. God's power in our lives is devoted to this. This is the primary objective. To take this weak, sinful Armagh man, but then you know everybody from Armagh is a sinner. I hadn't much of a chance, had I? Brought up in Armagh, really. They're all sinners down there. Certainly not in Castlereagh. It's a much better place to be brought up. Or Craigie or wherever else. To take a weak, sinful person and to transform that person and bring that person to be in eternal glory with him. There is no power on earth that could even begin to do that except the power of God. That's the goal. That's the aim. And not only, says Peter, is God's power working that way, but he's also given us promises. 
magnificent promises, promises that are designed to capture our hearts. The kind of way a promise from a parent to a child would have done. You know, remember the promises at Christmas time? It's coming up again. The Christmas music has started. Mind you, it started in June in Tesco's, I think, but it started. And the promises of what's coming to excite the mind and the imagination with that brand new Lego toy that I'm going to be able to get for Christmas. I'm just talking about myself now. Um, <laughs> That's what promises are meant to do. To lead us on, to fire our imagination. And says Peter, God has given us these magnificent promises so that our human capacity to desire gets wrapped around the right things. It can get wrapped around the wrong stuff, which leads to corruption, as he says, in the world. C.S. Lewis wrote about this, one of my favorite lines. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, he wrote, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We're like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the seaside. We are far too easily pleased. God's promises are given to fire our hearts and imagination with what is coming, with the future, with the glory and excellence of Christ, with that calling that one day to share in his glory. It's magnificent. How can it become more real to us? God, says Peter, has given us all that we need to live this new life. But it's, it's like potential that's given to a baby. It's, it needs to be developed. It's amazing watching children. I've had four. We've had four. I didn't have them on my own. I must, I must put that in. We've had four kids. And now nine grandchildren since I last was here. Amazing. Impact on history. And, uh, and to see them learning to talk, it's a phenomenal thing if you think about it. To be able to get words and then arrange them grammatically, and, well, most of the time, in a sentence. To communicate meaning to grow in their thinking. All that potential is there from the beginning. But it's to grow and develop. And so God has given us all the resource we need for this life. Our responsibility then, with the promises ringing in our ears, with the potential and this power at work in our life, to make every effort, says Peter, to add to our faith. And he gives us a little list. Now, some of us love lists. Uh, we live by lists. In fact, this list in, in Second Peter 
I, when I was a, uh, in my late teens and as a young student, I wrote the list up and pinned it to my mirror so that I could avoid looking at myself. Um, but there it was a list, and lists are helpful. They're also dangerous when they're used in the wrong way. Uh, we could use it as a kind of box ticking exercise. We could use it as a sort of multiple choice thing. Well, I like that one, but not so sure about the other. I like knowledge, but self-control, no one asks for perseverance. That's not me. See, and we just, we select. It's not meant to be like that. Rather, this is an expression of an attitude that seeks to add positive qualities into the life and faith that we have. It spells out different aspects of a healthy, growing spiritual community, a healthy, growing spiritual individual believer. These qualities that God is looking for, qualities that will enable us to be fruitful and productive in our lives under God. Isn't that what we want? Whatever age we're at. You know, I've never been 70 before. So I didn't get a run at it, as they say. You just turn 70 and you haven't any choice in the matter. Uh, so this is the first time I've, I've been a husband at the age of 70. And it's interesting, let me tell you. There's challenges at every level of life. If we're still here, there's lots still to learn. To your faith add goodness. Virtue, of course, in the moral sense, but also just seeking to be good at what we do. Positive excellence. And how do we get good at doing something? Well, by doing it, by living it, by practicing it. To be good at behaving well under pressure, you need to practice that and live it. I get the opportunity every day to work at being a good husband. Uh, sometimes my wife will make helpful suggestions. Uh, there usually is a daily list of my failures as a husband and how I could do better tomorrow. It's so helpful to me. She's not here so I can say what I like. I can be a wonderful husband in my own head but not in reality. It takes a little bit of adding. Make every effort, strain every muscle to add. And to goodness add knowledge. Einstein said this, do not grow old no matter how long you live. Never cease to stand like curious children before the great mystery in which we were born. I love that. One of the people who inspired me most when I was a student started his PhD at the age of 70. And I thought, well, good on you. When I'm 70, maybe I'll start my PhD. Maybe not. <laughs> but that insatiable desire to grow in our knowledge of God's world and God's word and to that add self-control and to that to add endurance because nothing is produced without endurance. It's easy to be self-controlled for five minutes like the person who gives up smoking hundreds of times. It's easy. But to develop that quality and to endurance add positive godliness. Reverencing well, promoting God's interests and honoring him in every aspect of life and to godliness adding brotherly kindness and brotherly kindness adding 
love, not just for our brothers, but for a lost world, for our neighbor, for our enemies, just as Jesus taught. It isn't necessarily spectacular, but this is, these aren't things that depend on gift. These aren't things that depend on function. These aren't things that depend on having leadership position or being recognized. This is for every single believer. The opportunity to have a fruitful life. There is a basic logic behind this, says Peter. He tells us if these qualities are ours in increasing measure, then your life in relation to Christ will be effective and productive. If they aren't, then you won't be. It's simple. It's that simple. If we wish to be productive in our 70s, I can't give in to the temptation to be a cantankerous old man. You know, I've always wanted to do that. You know, they say when you get older, the filters come off and you can say what you like. Wouldn't that be lovely to be able to just say what you like for 10 minutes? Think of the damage you could do. Now, sometimes the filters are removed without us realizing they've been removed, and that's another problem. But I'm still here, which means that God still needs to teach me. I still need to grow. I still need to make progress for me to be productive and fruitful in whatever way God chooses at this stage in my life. Not to have that approach is to be blind and short-sighted, which confuses me a little bit, because if you're blind, you're by definition short. In fact, you're non-sighted. But I think what Peter is saying is that we're blind because we have completely lost sight of the goal, and we're short-sighted because we are living just by short-term horizons. And we're not looking at the big picture at the goal. And he says, in addition to being blind and short-sighted, we're forgetful because we've forgotten what salvation is about. And what is it about? Cleansing us from our sin and making us like Christ. That's what it is about. If, on the other hand, we do invest our life this way, here come the promises. Two big ones with which I finish. First, we will never stumble. Not that we will never sin, but we'll never stumble about, you know, like a drunk man in the dark, not knowing our way. This is God's will for us. This is the way. Walk in it. Secondly, we'll have a rich entrance into the eternal kingdom. Now, that's an exciting prospect. A rich entrance, not just an entrance, but a rich entrance into the eternal kingdom. And you're thinking, what could that possibly mean? You know, Christmas is coming. And one way to think about that is that, well, every Christmas we have some kind of a family get together. And uh, the thing that Heather and I, my wife Heather and I love most is being able to sit there and let others work for us. No, no, it's not that, although that, that is a bonus. The thing we like most is to watch the different ages and to look at them 
and see the different ways they're enjoying the time together. Because we Bonnie, the youngest, well, she'll be firing ice cream from the high chair at everybody and think she's having, this is the best party in life. Fantastic fun. Now, I wouldn't expect Rory to be doing the same. No, he's probably doing what he did the other day in school. He's four and he colored in a shirt with a felt tip pen because he was bored. <laughs> now, he'll be up to all kinds of nonsense. But then Joseph, he's seven. He, he, well, he wouldn't be coloring in a shirt with a felt No, he's, his capacity has grown. He'll be playing maybe with a new train set or something like that. And so it goes on. And then we come to the almost teenagers, uh, the young ladies. And they'll not be sitting on the floor playing with train sets. No, they've discovered makeup and perfume and, and all kinds of other things. And then the parents, well, each has grown. Each is enjoying the party to the maximum of their capacities, just the slightly different capacities. That's just one way of thinking it. In other words, God gives each of us the opportunity in this life to lay up treasure in heaven, not just to sort of hang on until we get there, but positively to influence eternity by adding to our faith goodness and to your goodness knowledge and to your knowledge self-control and to your self-control perseverance and all those other things. It's a very simple message, but it's Peter's. I'm just borrowing his. And it had a profound impact on my life to discover that this world is not the only one there is, that there is an eternal kingdom, and there's a link between the two, that all progress as God counts progress. And he knows where we all start. And we don't all start with the same personality or the same gifts or the same circumstances, the same family upbringing. We're all different. But God knows that. Progress, real progress, all real progress as God's counts it will have eternal consequences in the kingdom of God. There's an encouraging thought to encourage us to keep going in a straight line because it's eternally worth it. And you say, well, how could Peter be so sure? How can, how can I be so sure? Well, you'll have to come back on Sunday to discover the answers to that question. Will you take a minute and pray together? Thank you for the joy of an occasion like this to get together and we reminisce. Yes, we look over the short years that, that just go so rapidly past like a train. And we're amazed that 30 years has now passed. And yet so much has been invested in those 30 years. We thank you for the love that has been invested, the compassion the many meals prepared, the many hours spent sharing hopes and fears, weeping with those who weep, rejoicing with those who rejoice, the many hours spent in preparing and sharing your word, 
and seeking to reach out, being a witness and work through all the activities, the hours giving up to spend time to invest in the next generation and to give young people a different input from what they get from the culture around them. Lord, all of that in your sight is of enormous value. And I pray that every person who is part of this fellowship will have a great sense this weekend, not just of the joy of knowing you, but a sense of the worthwhileness of investing in eternity. Thank you for your kindness, your goodness, your mercy. In the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this Castlereagh Fellowship podcast. For more podcasts, Bible teaching videos, and to see what's going on at the church, please visit our website, castlereaghfellowship.com. God bless.